You are now listening to the Conversationalist Podcast. Well, hello, and thank you for listening to another episode of the Conversationalist Podcast. I'm Jesse, and I'm here with Amanda. Hi. It's going to be episode 71, and we're going to talk about... What? We just did 71. Oh, fuck, yeah, we did. I'm in the past (laughs) now we're in the future so it's episode 72 and it's gonna cover um our review of ready player one the hottest movie out right now it's so hot right now it's super hot so um i think we'll just talk about the initial impression so when when i first saw this preview for this movie i'm thinking holy shit i mean because it's totally 80s retro there's like bunch of like 80s slash 90s references in there and just i mean like everything i can think of from my childhood and i'm like holy fuck this movie has to be amazing and then immediately just with how beautiful the the trailer was in itself i'm thinking to myself this movie has to be like an imax 3d experience like you'd be robbing yourself of it if you didn't see it in that format Trailer didn't sell me on the movie at all. What? Only wanted to see it because I read the book. So the trailer did nothing for you at all? No, the first trailer they did did not explain the movie at all. I thought the the first trailer was more compelling than the second trailer they came out with, where the second trailer was kind of like, it almost seemed like, I don't know what the fuck they did. Like, I think they tried to make it more family-ish and like less urgent and almost like came off like love story-ish and then they changed the music. Where it was like more lighthearted instead of, again, urgent. And I think that was like the With shitty the trailer. Theme. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, guys? Like, that doesn't make anybody want to see it. Honestly, from the first trailer, when they played the second trailer, it almost, it like kind of turned me off. I'm like, ugh, play the other trailer. I'm like, this trailer sucks. Like I said, none of the trailers did anything for me. I really wanted to see it because I read the book. Wowzers. Okay, so um, we're going to get to the uh, movie synopsis here off of IMDb. Um, the storyline is that in the year 2045, um, the real world... Ooh, man. Jesus Christ, like, my voice is raspy as fuck, and I, f- I don't know what the fuck is going on. I-, I feel like I'm, like, maybe getting sick, like, I'm on that borderline where it can go either way right now. Quit drinking. I had a beer. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> Okay, so it says, in the year 2045, the world... Don't make me laugh, I'm trying to read. It says, in the year 2045, the real world is a harsh place. The only time Wade Watts, played by Ty Sheridan, uh, truly feels alive is when he escapes to the Oasis, an immersive virtual universe where most of humanity spends their days. In the Oasis, you can go anywhere, do anything... Be anyone. The only limits are your own imagination. The Oasis was created by the brilliant and eccentric James Halliday, played by Mark Rylance, who left his um, immense fortune and total control of the Oasis to the winner of a three-part contest he designed to find a worthy heir. When Wade conquers the first challenge of the reality-bending treasure hunt, he and his friends, a.k.a. the High Fives, are hurled into a fantastic universe of discovery in danger to save the oasis. Sounds pretty awesome. It does. You know what's funny is so like in this synopsis and then, again for me the trailer, I thought this like made the movie 
seemed like something that anybody would want to watch. Like if you knew any, if you didn't read the book and you were just looking for something entertaining to watch, um, that this is definitely it. Um, I was actually reading our local paper yesterday and it had, um, completed a review. I'm sure it said of, it sucked. Of Ready Player One. Did it? Because it came out Wednesday. And so we actually saw it Thursday. Yeah, I know we're recording it Friday. Um, but yeah, I read the review and it said essentially that it was a very hollow film that um, used a lot of the CGI and 80s references as a crutch to basically appeal to everybody's nostalgia and lacked any real story and failed to adequately develop um, the characters' backstories, which in turn um, basically created a black hole of where there's little to no connection between the characters and like what you think about them. Well, our newspaper blows. I mean, they really they gave do. it two stars. Uh, yeah, well, they really do. I mean, most of the stuff they write, anyways, are just like, "Why are you writing? Like, how did you get a job in journalism?" That's just how I feel personally about most of the things they write, not just movie reviews, but things in general. Mm-hmm. But if you read the book, you don't get like a whole lot of backstory, anyways. I mean, the movie, as far as the backstories of the characters are concerned. They touched on those pretty well. There wasn't a whole lot that they didn't say. I, so. I mean, the whole thing is it's about the journey and the adventure and, like, the story of, like, what's happening to the world and the importance of that universe and the fact that it just happens to relate to these characters, right? For I the mean, most part. It, I mean, the movie did dumb some some stuff down a lot. I mean... Yeah, I'm sure we'll get there, but I mean, they did change a lot, but I mean, as far as the characters go, I mean, they made Wade a little less creepy. They made pretty much all of them not fat, Um, but like backstory-wise, yeah, not so much. I mean, they they didn't really skimp on anything there. Okay, so, nice Coke. You want to share with me? Would you like some? Yes. Okay, I will pass my coke to you. Um, so, the movie, um, I mean, as it starts out, is that, you know, basically Wade is living in this uh, trailer park called The Stacks, where basically um, all these trailers are kind of like literally stacked on each other. Uh, stories and stories and stories high. Uh, this city that he lives in is one of the fastest growing cities in America. It's where um, this Oasis system was uh, developed and he his parents um died and he's living with his aunt and his aunt uh has a boyfriend who's seemingly a big piece of shit um and is constantly you know fucking up any chance for them to get out of the stacks they live in and so you know he's he's got this broken home character you know kind of hard on his luck and, you know, seemingly going nowhere, but he always escapes to the Oasis. So he um, has a kind of a really cool setup. It seems like, you know, he's kind of been, you know, building this thing over time. Uh, and it's kind of buried amongst a bunch of cars that, you know, if you were just kind of passing by, it just looks like a pile of rubble. But he's able to get between this gap that is uh, entrance to the back of a van where um, he has his Oasis gear set up. And um, 
He goes by the name, um, God dang it, I had the name here. It's, uh, he goes by the name Parzival, and I don't know. I mean, he's just, you know, he's, he's in the game, like, he's pretty good. He's got a lot of friends that are, um, I would consider high-level, you know, talented players with, with decent skills, and the the story just goes into the fact of, like, the backstory of the game, the owners, uh, you know, talking about how, you know, he's super into this particular time period, and that it's been years since uh, the creator died and had, uh, you know, seemingly started this Easter egg hunt for these keys that are going to uh, grant ownership of this system, or this game, but nobody's found anything to even find a key in years. Um, and so it just kind of, you know, snowballs from there. And, you know, it, it does introduce the evil corporation. What was the corporation's name again? IOI. Yeah, so this company, IOI, is like the second biggest like tech company in the world. And obviously they want to get their grubby little mitts on the Oasis um, for advertising purposes. Basically, they know that it's going to make them a shit ton of money. And they have got just setups set up all over where um, they're paying players to play on their behalf in order to try to find these keys to, uh, you know, basically complete the puzzle and win the game that wins them the ownership of Oasis before any player can. Um, do you kind of want to pick it up from there on where the story goes? Where does the story go? Well, I don't know. You watched the movie too. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it it starts off pretty quick. I mean, right away, Wade he gets into the race for um, the first key, which is not right in the book. That's not how you find the first key, but he did it. He figured out um, how to do it, and he gets the first key. And um, Artemis. She follows, she figures out how he did it, and she follows, and she gets it right after. Um, the thing is, is if you you find the key, you can work together, kind of. Um, so, you know, so all of his little group of friends ends up finding the key, you know, basically one right after another. Um, and they kind of group up and start working uh, to finish to find the other, the other two keys. Um, and while they're at it... Uh, the bad guy, Sorrento, he's like, well, I'm going to start trying to kill these people off in real life because I want it. Right. They're basically behind and they're not doing so good and they kind of feel the feel the pressure of, you know, potentially losing um, the ability to gain control of the Oasis. And so he basically hints to um, employees that do real world stuff for him. That, hey guys, I'm not telling you to do this directly, but maybe you should do this. And essentially it amounts to them, uh, you know, trying to take out Wade Watts and friends uh, in real life so that they can't kind of meddle in, you know, what they're trying to do and taking over uh, the Oasis. And so this race is uh, supposed to be like this impossible race that nobody's ever completed. But if you do complete it, um, you know, you get the first key. And so it was just unlocked by him, you know, remembering this phrase. Because everything that um, 
is hidden uh, as far as these keys are concerned all relate back to um, the creator of the game and you really have to know the creator of the game like what his intent was his backstory and all of that in order to figure out all of these complex hints that lead you to um lead you to the other keys and in in the game there's like a like a library of sorts that you can access that has all of the information related to um the creator um all of his stuff is archived so you can access whatever you need in order to try to figure out these hints and you know obviously wade watts character being this super fan it it comes a little easier to him than than some other people and so uh as they're going through the story the uh the second key was um which competition oh the leap oh the zombies the shining yeah that was also not was, in the book it had not to do at with, all it had to do with the date of the girl <laughs> and the fact yeah. that he didn't take a leap and he kind of regretted never doing something and so this date movie and it has to do with the shining um and so they're in this like shining vr and then they have to take this they they, they manage to survive uh they have to like jump from like this zombie to zombie in order to get to this girl who was his date they like he never you know tried to dance with or whatever kiss and so they get to that point and it you know it, it has a second key and again once the first person gets it then they all kind of get it because they're sharing the information um and so by this point you know everybody's kind of hot on their heels you know wade is kind of falling for this girl artemis they're becoming closer you know she's kind of reluctant to you know get involved with them just because she's like hey look you don't even know who the fuck i am and you're telling me you love me and all this shit um yeah, it's kind of creepy. And, you know, but, you know, he's like, no, I don't care what you look like or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, typical, like, desperate guy online stuff, you know, when they find out he's talking to a real girl. Yeah, um, gross. So, uh, you know, there's that, that whole kind of thing going on where you kind of feel bad for him, but not so much. I mean, you definitely know where she's coming from in in the whole thing. But, um, you know, so they're, they're, they've kind of become friends and you know he's obviously enlisted the help of his other friends in order to you know continue on this adventure and at this point um you know in real life he's kind of in danger as well because he was stupid enough to like utter his name in the game when he's trying to introduce himself to her um you know and tell him the real name but there's a bad guy you know listening and uh you know they cross-reference some purchases he made in game that uh, show up at his house and, you know, compare those names to the stuff that he purchased in game and they, they're able to find out who he is. And so um, as they continue through this journey, um, the, the one of his best friend's characters is, uh, what is it, um, Eight? H. Eight. H. And H is like, got this real deep husky voice and like he's a big old robot and like his boy. And... You're like, oh, this has to be like some burly dude. And then like when they actually like meet in real life, it's like a very butch uh, female. I mean, yeah. super cool. 
Um, you know, but like it kind of goes with the characterization of like you don't know who the hell you're dealing with online. And she warned him you could be tech- talking to a 300 pound dude named Chuck in a you know someone's basement in Detroit when so. he's when he's referring to Artemis. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny. I mean, luckily it ends up being a female, and her whole thing is is just she's got this birthmark on her across her eye, and like it, and you know she's not comfortable with it, and obviously everybody maybe acts different around her like it's implied that like people don't treat her very good because of the birthmark but you know she's able to be herself when she's in the oasis because it's not something that's visibly shown and she can pretend to be somebody else but of course you know you have uh your hero wade who still likes her for who she is and Man. you know helps her embrace her birthmark because she realizes she's beautiful whether she has it or not which is a good story to tell but you know very cliche um and so, you know, they're 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 having to, you know, be sneaky um because the this company's still after them and um, you know, it, it takes Artemis away um and tries to get her to work off this debt and like what are what are they called? Like um honor centers or Loyalty centers. Loyalty centers where they basically accrued debt and it's like almost like um you know, like you would like in the fucking late 1800s where they had like debtors prisons and stuff like that well it's it's kind of reminiscent of that i mean obviously that's not something that happens now but essentially what this is is like a debtors prison people owe a shitload of money and the company basically buys this these people's debts and essentially becomes this person's owner until they work off their debt and you know they're they're essentially enslaving people to do what they want them to do in the oasis and that's what they try to do to Artemis. But, you know, they're able to, you know, break her free. And while she's in one of these centers, she's able to kind of like work behind the scenes and, you know, using some of the company's own equipment in order to help Wade Watts, H, and all of the, uh, his, you know, the band of friends to uh, get through this next obstacle. Because they, uh, what's that, the bad guy's name is Sorrento, right? He enlists... Uh, what the hell is that guy's name? Um, Iraq. The Iraq. He's got this like you know real scary, fucking like see through chess deal. And he's like a like a hitman, and um, they find this magical item. They create a force field around um, this third object that they find, and so now that they found this third object, they create this force field that can only be, it, it can't be destroyed. You know, you have to utter the magic words. To the orb to get it to come down. Well, you know, it seems like the company's probably going to win because they've enlisted the help of all these people. These, like, you know, they basically have a big ass army of people to go through all of these different games in this clue. I think they're playing Atari and they're trying to figure out what game is the game that's the key. And um, at some point, I think they find out it's like adventure, mm-hmm. and uh, they're they're playing this game. But the, you know, as they're going, they're they're. Uh, you have um, you have uh, Parzival who basically is getting everybody to come together to try to help them, uh, you know, save the Oasis from falling into the, you know, the evil clutches of IOI. And that's when you see, like, the epic battle that ensues that you see in the trailer with, like, you know, um, H using the Iron Giant. Um, one of the characters, uh, I can't think of his name, I, I can't remember if it was Sho or Dido, that had the um, special... 
like it was like a trinket or something like that that like gave him like two minutes to be like whatever mechanical character they wanted to be in game. Dido. And so he, um, during this battle, chooses the fucking Gundam mech. Dope. Like that was fucking cool. Um, you know, and you see you see people playing as like Freddy Krueger and like you know that you see like Chucky. You see the fucking Ninja Turtles fighting. Um, you know, you see. Like, I mean, just everything, like every reference you can think of that's anything that mattered in the 80s and 90s, everything's going on. There's so much shit, uh, you know, mech, uh, fucking the bad guy, um, Sorrento, he becomes like Mecha Godzilla, and you know, he's like fighting, you know, the Gundam character and the Iron Giant, and all, all this shit's just going on. I mean, it gets pretty goddamn epic. Um, and it seems like they're probably going to lose because, you know, this barrier is not going to come down, but Artemis, you know, is super clutch and, you know, manages to get this, uh, manages to get access to this orb, um, basically by still being in that building where she'd escaped, uh, which is like the headquarters for this business, uh, gets into the chair, um, of, uh, the main bad guy, Sorrento who leaves, who stupidly leaves his fucking password, like, right next to his computer, and so she's able to get in and, uh, essentially take the force field down, which gives them the, the chance that they needed to, you know, get this third key, and, and so the whole point is, um, Parzival understands it, is it, it's not about beating the game when they play adventure, 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 it's that, it's about just playing the game, and so, the whole point and the whole reason that this game was chosen was because this was the first game that ever had an Easter egg hidden in it. And so you had to get through the whole game in order to get this dot and then move this dot all the way back to this room where you had to like find this other, like it was like a, like a black room where you had to kind of like fumble around to, to find this Easter egg so that when you completed it, it would like display the creator's name. And like, that's the whole point was that first Easter egg. So he ends up winning, but when he wins and, you know, the, um, the creator whose, um, avatar, um, in the game is Anorak is trying to, you know, give him the key. He can't fucking put the key in the lockbox while everybody's watching this happen. Cause it's like simultaneously broadcasting to like everybody's goggles, like what's happening. He can't turn the damn key because at this point, um, he's playing like in the back of this truck that's mobile because they're being chased. And, you know, the van's getting knocked around and he can't, oh, he can't get the key, you know, in the hole to turn it because, you know, they're in peril, you know, the entire time. And, you know, by this point, uh, Sorrento's fucking lost his mind. You know, he's got a, he's got a real gun. You know, he takes one of the security vans to one of the company vehicles because he's just going to go kill, um, he's just going to go kill, uh, Wade himself. And, you know, right at the last minute when all these people seemingly are going to help Wade. They form this human barrier between him, uh, between Sorrento and the van. He pulls out a fucking pistol. There's like a hundred of them. And like everybody steps aside. Like, I'm like, seriously, like you guys could have like totally rat packed him, but I get it. Everybody's afraid. Nobody wants to be the one that gets shot. So everybody just like clears the path for him to fucking go over there and kill Wade. Except when he finally opens the fucking door, Wade is... He's clearly won because there's like this gold light emitting from his gloves. And so he's already taken control of the, the company, you know, the company technically at this point. And so then, you know, conveniently, like right as this all happens, the police come 
and you know arrest him and you know that's when it kind of goes to like okay now wade you have the company you know where do you go from here and he decides to share it with all of his friends the high fives and splits everything and you know then he meets the uh, simon pegg's character who's played by ogden morrow um i mean there's a little bit more to the story in terms of like you know the whole process it goes to from like you know when he turns all the keys you know he gets to have a little he gets to have a little chit chat with Halliday before it gets to that point and you know there's a little bit more backstory in there um i mean there's there's a lot of stuff that we haven't necessarily covered kind of like you know skipping through the highlights of the of the film um but I mean, overall, I mean, we took our kids. We saw it in um, we didn't see it in IMAX, but we did see it in 3D, and um, it was awesome. It was really awesome in 3D, like visually, just amazing. And I feel like even though I was like as satisfied I was with the movie and as cool as the movie was, that I did, I probably still miss shit that I'm sure if I saw a second time, like I'd be like, oh man, I didn't see that in the first thing. Like it's definitely a movie where I feel like I did miss stuff, even though I was totally paying attention. So I, I do want to see it again, just because I want to see all those things that I missed. Uh, there was a lot crammed in there. It was a lot. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely like a mishmash of just everything in the world. And so um, that's kind of why I want to see it a second time. I mean, we have movie pass, so I mean, we could probably get away with it. Um, I think they don't consider it abuse if you don't watch it too many times. So... Um, that's definitely, well, it's not like we used it to see it the first time. Right. So yeah, we'll definitely, definitely probably be seeing it again. Um, you know, and like, again, our kids enjoyed it. My son loved it. My son loved it. He's, he's 12 years old, totally got a kick out of it. Thought it was fucking awesome. When I was jokingly saying, Hey, we need to go see it the second time. Like he was down. Normally he's not. He's always that kid. that's like, it doesn't matter what movie you're going to go see. Like if it's not star Wars or some shit or like one of the Avengers movies, he's just like, whatever. But I'm like, hey, do you want to go see Ready Player One again? He's like, let's do it. Or even our daughter, she really liked it. I mean, we were joking in the last podcast that like she falls asleep to everything. She did fall asleep for a tiny bit, but I mean, in general, I mean, that's just her thing. She falls asleep for like fucking ten minutes. <laughs> like she has to fall asleep at some point during a movie. Um, but like she, she also loved it. And um, so, I mean, me not having seen the book or. <laughs> did i just say seen the book wow did you see the book yeah i, I have not the book. you know i haven't I, I haven't actually physically seen the, the out the, the outer cover of the book <laughs> definitely There's like three different covers yeah, right now yeah definitely haven't read it so i mean i guess uh what i'm saying is like i've seen the movie i think it's great um not now not having read the book obviously there's no disappointment there because i don't have any way to compare it so i mean it's definitely awesome <laughs> nonetheless but now that um, Amanda has read the book and is very opinionated on the differences, I mean, maybe you can, you know, enlighten me on some of the, like, the bigger points on where the movie was kind of, kind of fell short of where the book was. I don't know about falling short. I mean, if you, if well, you, you seem, see, like, really disappointed about some of the things that were different. Well, they changed all the challenges. Well, I mean, okay, so what was the first challenge in the book? Well, okay, specifically, I don't remember because I read it like three years ago. <laughs> wow. But I do know this. Wow. You've been unmasked. They were all done mostly on like 
little computers or like back in the old video games. So like, you know, in the last challenge, he was standing there playing the Atari. Uh huh. That's how most of the other challenges were, too. Like, it was everything was really old school. The, the main difference about this movie compared to the book was the lack of the 80s references. Like, I know everyone's like, oh, they just douche this movie with 80s. Well, no, not really. If you read the book, like, the book is 80s like you wouldn't believe. This movie is very modernized. Like, they threw a lot of modern things into it, I think, to keep people more interested. Like, I like mean, they... there's Tracer and the Master Chiefs and... All kinds of people running around in there. Oh, right, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's definitely no mention of that in the book, because when the book was written... That didn't exist. You know, that wasn't around. And the Iron Giant... So you think they were maybe trying to stick with, like, the spirit of what, how the book was written? So, like, it wasn't necessarily about, like, 80s and nostalgia. I mean, that, I mean, that was a focal point of the book, but, I mean, do we think that really it was about, like, okay, it's about things that are popular... And like love my all that okay, it's probably gonna be okay to, you know, include something like characters from Overwatch when it's like a huge sensation, or include things like Halo, where like, you know, even to this day, like as many copies of Halo that have come out, they still do Halo tournaments and just like things that stick out for people that are like on a on a level of nostalgia where I mean, you know, if you went way back, like some people literally grew up playing Halo. Or, like, grew up playing Blizzard games that, like, that's the the kind of idea that they had? Well, I think I read somewhere it was more of a managing to get all of the property, the rights to everything that he wrote about, that it would have been too hard, which is kind of where the Iron Giant came in. Right. Um, because in the book, the second challenge, part of it was getting a giant was a prize for completing the second challenge. And you had an option to pick like one of three, I think. And the Iron Giant was one of the um one of the ones you can choose. It's not the one that Wade chose though. He chose it's like Leopard, Leopardzord or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's, it's a property that Warner Brothers apparently doesn't own. So, but they own the Iron Giant, right? And so it just makes sense to. Use the Iron Giant instead of use some other character again to pay a bunch of money for. Right, and not only that. I guess it just it, it made more sense, I guess, to put the Iron Giant in there. A lot of people that were making the movie, I guess, were fans. That's what I read. So they went with that, and they kind of altered the whole way the Iron Giant was used. Because like I said before, like when we were listening to the panel at WonderCon, and everyone was like, oh, the Iron Giant and Ready Player One, I was like, I don't remember that thing like at all in the book. Like, why is he such a big deal in the movie? Yeah. Well, it's because they made him that way in the movie. Like, he wasn't... Well, in this movie, it has to do with him being used for like a final battle. It's like a big fucking deal, so... Well, and that battle was in the was in the book. I mean, they had the big final showdown. Like, I think that was probably the most accurate challenge out of the three mm-hmm. the other two were very very different like the first one the race wasn't a race they um they actually they used the oasis for schools and the first one i think was on one of the high school planets but the challenge was found out in one of the schooling planets hmm. so it, it wasn't a race like that at all um but yeah i mean so just you know it's differences it's like you can see them they're big so let me ask you this. Not. 
So, like, from the way the movie, or the way the book portrayed certain things in the movie, and the way the movie portrayed, like, their their version of, of the book, um, do you think that they went bigger or not as much? Because, I mean, the, the way it sounds, it sounds like it would have been easier for them to make a, a more true-to-the-book version of the movie that maybe wouldn't have been as exciting and so because of the technology that they have and the CGI that's available and all the money that they have, like as far as budgeting went, that they could do more with it and make it a more compelling, interesting movie that was just maybe a little bit overall more entertaining and appealing to a larger mass of people. Because, I mean, when you're talking about like 80s nostalgia, I mean, like I was I was born in 83. So, I mean, I, I remember 80s stuff like, you know, being, you know, in the early 90s and everything. But I mean, I'm I'm breaking into my 30s, so like you have somebody else, you got to be a little older to, you know, like be like, oh yeah, I remember all that stuff from the 80s. And so I think what it is is they're not trying to just appeal to you know 40 somethings and whatever. I mean, they're trying to appeal to you know other people that also grew up with stuff that they hold dear to them. And so it, I mean, on 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 top of like you know not wanting to spend money for all these extra properties, that it just makes sense to include all of these other characters that you know, other generations of people grew up with. And, and so it's just a natural fit in order to include them into the movie, but still be true to the story, I think, I think is what I get from it. And it, it almost sounds like they, I think they could have made it easier, less graphically intense movie. And it would have been true to the book, but it seems like they kind of went beyond what they needed to do. And I mean, is that fair to say? Well... I mean, because I mean, you read it, so I don't, I don't know. Timeline-wise, the book drags on. I mean, you know, he was finding these keys in what seemed like, you know, days of one another. When in the book, it was like months. It seemed like once he found one, like he was just finding them. Yeah, it was like months quick. to years between keys. So it wasn't an overnight deal, like it was in the movie. So I mean, to quicken it. That makes sense, obviously, because I mean the movie. Well, I mean the movie was like two and a half hours, wasn't it? Like two hours twenty minutes or something. Yes, like that? it was long. So mm-hmm. I mean, to speed it up like that, they would have had to, anyways. But you can't get mad. I mean, the guy that wrote the book also helped write the movie, so obviously he had a say in what his vision was for it. I mean, well, when Steven Spielberg directed it, I mean, and he had his hand in a lot of you know eighties pop culture 90s pop culture i mean he's definitely a fucking icon and i mean a talented director to say the least and you know having watched the movie i mean he definitely did a fantastic job i mean i don't think anybody could have done a better job than he did like kind of putting everything together the way he did no I know and the, the, the movie isn't bad i mean the thing is is holiday is you know he was stuck in the 80s kind of you know he had this big love for it and i think that does get lost in the movie a little bit. You know, the part where Sorrento was, you know, talking with Wade and he had somebody in his ear spouting off like a million 80s references at him when he was, you know, trying to prove that he wasn't, you know, just this corporate guy when everyone knew that he was. To me, that was only, like, that was the real nod to the book. Was like, you know, they're finally throwing out 80s reference, 80s reference, you know, Right. One right after another. Because other than that, it's like 
they were there, but they weren't there. Like they like weren't you had to really like, pay attention or like notice it is is most as opposed to it like being like in your face. Yeah, because in the book, I mean, it was like really in your face. And yes, I get it. You're reading it, so obviously the author has to tell you because you're reading it. But it's it was lost a little bit in the movie. I thought it's just it wasn't as there as I expected it to be. I mean, if you had never read the book and you saw the movie. It's it was a great st- you know stand on its own. You wouldn't have to read the book to know that the movie was good. And I don't think that the movie sucked. I know people probably think that I do, but I don't. I actually thought it was a really good movie. Mm-hmm. But it is different. So if you're one of those people that like to compare books to movies, I don't suggest that you do because this movie isn't like its book. Not a whole lot. And so from a rating standpoint, um, IMDb is giving this movie an 8.1 um out of 10 19,188 users have um come to an agreement that it's at least an 8.1 at this point um would you say that's a an accurate assessment of where this movie's at i'd actually go a little bit higher i'd go 8.5 yeah i would say very visually pleasing yeah i i actually i feel like um i i don't want to be biased when I give it this rating, but you know, I would say it's like a nine at least. And I think that's just for me personally, seeing like so many things that, um, appealed to me growing up, just being like so excited as all of these things are happening in the movie. And I mean, even though the story in the movie is compelling and it's exciting and it's awesome and it is visually pleasing, especially in 3d, when you're watching all this stuff, I'm just thinking to myself like, oh shit, there's that in the background. Oh fuck, there's that in the background. Did you see that? Oh, 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 look at that, look at that right there. Like, it was constantly like, oh my god, this is awesome, this is awesome, this is awesome. Even when the whole movie is going. So I felt like it was just bing, 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 just hitting on, you know, all sorts of levels of, of uh, greatness. And so, um, I mean, I would say my rating is maybe a little uh, influenced by the uh, overall content that's uh, displayed, you know, heavily in the uh, material. But, I mean, I'll, I'll shamelessly admit that, you know, that uh, kind of got me there um, in terms of, like, you know, why I think it, it should be scored higher than uh, 8.1. But, um, I mean, overall, I would say the movie is definitely worth seeing. I mean, this movie is 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 pretty incredible. Um, and it's it's definitely... You know, a fun movie to see. And I, I would say that if you're going to see it for the first time, that I would highly recommend 3D. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be an IMAX, but it does at the very minimum have to be in 3D. Um, yeah. I feel like that's necessary. And just, you know, because of the visuals and everything, like, it's it's just something that I would, would highly suggest. So, um, I, think, uh, I think that's about it. So, um, as far as that goes, um, is there anything else that... You wanted to add before, uh, before we wrap it up? Go read the book if you haven't already. How long? I mean, how big is the book? Well, I read it on my Kindle, but it's not that big of a book. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe read the book after you watch the movie. Maybe, yeah, you know, you should probably do it in that way. So, like, you're like, all right, the movie's awesome. And then you go back and read the book and be like, oh, okay, that's why it was different. As opposed to being, like, salty like Amanda. 
and like reading the book first and then watching the movie and be like, Arr. I read the book like three years ago. I didn't know it was going to be made into a freaking movie. Yeah, still though, the salt is real with you. I still like the movie. Yeah, I know. It's all good. I like the movie. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, thanks for uh, listening to our uh, review of um, Ready Player One. I give it a thumbs up. I definitely recommend you see it. Amanda giving me two middle fingers in the air like she just doesn't care. Um, so uh, this is uh, wrapping up episode uh, 72. Um, I'm Jesse with Amanda. Yay. Saying goodbye. Bye.